And now, our feature presentation. everyone welcome to another episode of the florida sound archive podcast i'm your host jeff kaiser and for today's interview i have on with me a man who's been in a long list of bands i tried to count them all but then i lost where i was counting it was just too many to count <laughs> jeremy rogers is here and he is uh, gonna talk a lot about his life and a lot of the bands he's played with and his music and his journey. Jeremy, welcome in. How are you? Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Let's kick it off with kind of talking about your early beginnings. My, I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, luckily, my folks moved to Gainesville uh, just a few short years after that. So uh, ended up in Gainesville in 78. Um and I'm very thankful, eternally grateful to my parents for moving out of Pennsylvania because it's not my scene. I'm, a, I'm definitely a Florida, a, definitely a Florida boy. And I, I, uh, I guess I can claim that since I've been here for about 45 years. Yes, I would say you're a Floridian at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so when you came to Florida, you said northern Florida, right? The Gainesville area. That's where you first landed. Correct. Yeah. Uh, there until 83 uh, when we moved to St. Augustine. Um, St. Augustine is my home. I did end up back in Gainesville in the mid-90s to go to school. I was in Gainesville from 94 to 2000, which was a great time to be there, especially if we're talking about music. And then ended up back in St. Augustine from 2000 on. Who were some of those bands you first learned about when you got to Gainesville? The Gainesville thing kind of happened before... I got to Gainesville my my junior and senior year of high school when um, I was lucky enough to to run across um, some really good records from Gainesville through Fuse Records, a record store we had in St. Augustine at the time. Um, I was already into punk rock, um, having had a metal phase before that. And so I was, you know, this is 92, 93 buying like no effects records and, you know, finding operation Ivy and those sorts of things. And I think maybe the third time I came into the store to buy another no effects seven inch Jay at the counter was like, Hey, why don't you check out this? And he slid across the uh, counter, the uh, self-titled radon seven inch, um, which at that point, like absolutely blew my mind and was the, sole reason I have moved to Gainesville to go to school. Um, I got there in, you know, the summer of 94 and Radon wasn't playing. They were on one of their many, many breakup slash hiatuses. Um, but when I got to town, I used to go see fried Christ a lot. Uh, section eight, Van Builder ass that era of bands tired from now on. Um, one of my best buddies, major, um, was the singer in that band. Also, Matt Sweeting played um, guitar in that band. 
um, they were huge for me. They were like the first like truly heavy and weird band that I got into. Everything else before that was pretty standard fare, three, four chord, rock and roll, punk, metal, whatever it was. But Tired from now on was like opened a, another door into the like ultimate heaviness. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was a great time. The hardback was happening. There was the covered dish, which was another venue in town, which is now the high dive. Um, and it's been a bunch of stuff in between, um, which had more of like the indie rock fair. Uh, you can go see super chunk there uh, when they came through town, archers of loaf and that, that's that stuff. Good time. Good time to be in town for sure. You mentioned about the first seven inch that, uh, that you put out and, mm-hmm. uh, with radon on it. And that was one of the first times that one of your bands was also on that, on that same seven inch I'm yes. right. Correct. So what are your memories of I'm and talk about also pretty putting out that first seven inch. I'm was my, uh, high school, my first punk band started in 93 with just high, some high school friends pretty terrible but it's you gotta start somewhere um but yeah we played for a couple years we were playing even when i playing shows even when i moved to gainesville but when i moved to gainesville i started writing for a fanzine and um the guy uh that i was doing the fanzine with had the idea to make a to put a record with the fanzine those two things ended up being two separate things so the Seven inches call is a corporate giant compilation. Um, it's just a name we made up on the fly. And uh, yeah, so I begged Dave for a radon song and he, he blessed us with one. Um, we had a Lexington song on there. Uh, and then it, it, one of my bands, my, my, my band, I'm had a song on there called lost in Hastings. Um, there were 500 of those and um, I have one for you. I appreciate that. And uh, I, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating to see, to, to, I heard, you know, hear from you that you actually had been looking for that record because. Yeah. You don't see it. You don't come across it a whole lot. You remember the first I'm show that you played? Um, it was probably just a house party in St. Augustine. Um, we did end up playing at Fuse Records uh, quite a bit. Those were our first sort of like DIY shows where it wasn't like, just like a house party. And then, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we played, played there and then we started playing in, um, in Daytona, uh, with a band that we met, um, at Fuse called Hope Springs Eternal. Um, that's when I met Ryan Murphy, whom I uh, then played in a couple of bands more recently with, um, and we've been friends since then. I think we were 16 when we met. Um, so we played, we would play in Daytona with them. Let's see. And then they would come up and play some shows in St. Augustine with us. Then we started playing. Then we started moving o- over to Gainesville and, and playing. And we played at the hardback a couple times when I was in high school. Um, what were some of those crowds like in Daytona, considering that's kind of like a vacation spot? So what was that like? Oh, super weird. Daytona is always just, it's a crapshoot. Like, because it's the majority, you know, like the strip where the, the bars and clubs are is it, you're right. It's just a, it's just vacation hell, uh, you know, and sometimes it's, it's motorcycle hell. Um, uh, so yeah, they weren't, they weren't great. Uh, I, I don't think um, 
yeah, I didn't know what great crowds were until I was uh, an older gentleman. I think I don't. I, uh, there, there weren't a whole lot of like great shows. We were just happy to happy to play in front of sure. a couple of a couple of our buddies and the other bands. Um, but then there was a period from '95 to uh, till 2000 till I moved back to San Augustine that I wasn't playing music. Um, I could not put a band together in Gainesville to save my life. Um, I did have a band that's not really that we played some shows, but nothing ever really connected. We weren't, we recorded a couple of demos. They just didn't work. Um, there were, it was, you know, playing music with my buddies, my best friend, Ryan Badger, who played bass and I'm, we lived together in Gainesville and, you know, we were as a me playing guitar, him playing bass, trying to come up with, you know, a drummer and a singer, you know, trying to figure out stuff, but we really never could make it work. And, uh, so yeah, it wasn't until, I moved back to St. Augustine in 2000 that I uh, got the offer to join Boredom. And that's when I started, like, it was like a whole nother thing. That band had been around for a while, had records out, went on tour, people came out, people were, you know, like, it was, it was a, it was, it was completely foreign, but actually kind of nice. Like, it's like, oh, playing in front of a, like a hundred people. That's fun. That's a lot more fun than playing in front of five, you know? What do you think it was about the music of boredom that really got people really energized about that band? They were really funny dudes. They still are really funny dudes. Um, and good looking young surfer punks um, from the very start could write catchy tunes. Uh, and they just got better as time went on. Um, when I joined the band, uh, Gib, who was the singer, had started playing guitar, had play started playing second guitar. And when that start, when the, at that point, that's when I joined, um, they were they were writing, I think, what were great songs. Um, the the uh, the demo that they gave me to learn for like my first practice, uh, I was not expecting the quality of, of, of songs. Um, I was, I was blown away and it was like, it made my decision really easy. Like I always like the band. I, they're really good friends of mine. Um, went to high school together, surfed together. Um, but when I heard those songs, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I can play in that band. Did you have to audition or was it just like, Hey, you know, we know so you, you're in. <laughs> I ran into Tony, uh, Tony Lippy, the drummer, who was also the drummer and I'm, um, when I'm, I think it was maybe like my first day back in San Augustine at his restaurant, he was waiting tables and he came over and he's like, Hey, our bass player just quit. You want to play bass? And I was like, sure. That was it. And then they gave me the songs and the, that they had just recorded. Uh, they recorded four songs with Rob McGregor in Gainesville, which I thought was a, which was cool. Um, because I know Rob, I know his, his, his whole deal. Um, and he always gets a good quality product comes out of his, his studio and he's a, just a sweetheart, but, uh, yeah, that was it. There was no, there's no audition. We've known each other. Yeah. Tony, Tony and I grew up uh, like, like less than a block away from each other. I used to skateboard over to my, to his house with like my guitar and practice amp, um, in middle school to, to like play Metallica covers. So it was, it was, it was, it was an easy one. You mentioned Robert Rob McGregor and he recorded a lot of Florida bands, of course. So 
you have any good stories of working with him or uh, anything in the studio that really is a standout memory for you? Um, my second recording, like uh, recording experience of my whole life was with Rob um, at the original um, Turd Studios on Main Street in the attic of that house there. Um, so yeah, it was really fun. You know, he had an eight track at the time and I was like, wow, we can have eight microphones on stuff. This is great. But Rob's always been great. I was a fan of Rob as a musician before I even really realized that he was a, um, he was an audio engineer. His band grain was one of the bands that was happening in Gainesville when I moved there. And they were just like the loudest bar band you could ever hear you'd ever I'd ever experienced. And Rob just is such a shredder and having, so I've been recording with him since 93. Um, and I literally, my partner Tess and I were at his studio last month. Um, anytime we have a project or need some songs demoed, um, we just, call him up and cruise over there. It's just like a, a really, really easy studio. Um, Rob's a sweetheart. And yeah, I mean, he's worked on some great records. With Boredom, did you get a chance to play any gigs with that band outside of Florida? Yeah, there were a couple, there were a couple short tours up the East Coast. Um, some shows with Guttermouth and Big Wig. And then, yeah, the the sad bastard story of the end of boredom um, is that uh, we just recorded our, the record that I played on um, called squat dress captain. And we got offered a week, a week tour with yellow card in California. Um, they were, they had just moved out there and started blowing up, but they, I don't think they were on a major label yet. I think they were still working with lobster records. Um, so yeah, we were on our way out to play those shows and I broke my thumb skateboarding in the desert in Texas in this like basically like stormwater retention ditch. It looked like a skate park. I couldn't not skate it and I broke my thumb. So anyways, the band breaks up right then, like just completely implodes. We don't do the shows. Um, Tom, our guitar player, had flown out for some reason. And so he's, we called him and we're like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm in the emergency room. They say I can't play. We're turning the background and, and going home. And he's like, but I'm already, I'm already here. Yeah, it was a bummer. So that band just ended like that, like the like screeching halt. Wow. Yeah. Were there any so, hard feelings about that situation? Yeah. Yeah, there were. Um, all that's passed now, but like, um, I, I still get shit for, for, uh, for be being the guy who breaks up bands for sure. Um, two years ago, um, I was in the studio with my current band, terror management band. We were mixing and, uh, Kevin and I decided to go skate a, a skate park in Gainesville. And we both ate shit like within like 15 minutes of each other. Kevin took the hardest slam I've ever seen anybody take in my entire life. The earth shook. He is, he is a large man, large, handsome man. And he hit the ground with such force that like everybody kind of recoiled. It was, it was hard. It was hard to watch. And then I dislocated my shoulder 
not 15 minutes after it at the same skate park. And so at that point, I was like, nope, I'm done. I leave the skateboarding to my son, Jackson. He's the skateboarder. I, I am not anymore. Well, you may have made the right decision at this point in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everything hurts. So I don't need to make it hurt. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So boredom implodes. And boredom and, uh, and so that was the only record you made with boredom. Yes. Yeah. And the f- funny thing about that, I so like in the lead up to this interview, combing through my archives and looking for like, you know, album cover artwork and whatever. I stumbled upon uh, the Squat Thrust Captain CD, right? And on Discogs, it's going for like $75 for a CD. I'm pretty sure we threw out like a thousand CDs at some point. Was there anything that ever came around of anyone ever approaching members of the band about reissuing some of the catalog? Well, the, I think, I think my first communication with Drew Williams at Ashtray Monument, I believe it was regarding the boredom catalog. Um, it was before he, before Ashtray was re- actually like releasing physical material and they were just sort of cataloging old, older Florida bands that weren't on streaming, the streaming services. Um, at that point, I reached out to the members of boredom and I have over the last couple of years, a couple times, and I have never gotten a unanimous yes. There's always been a holdout. And no, I, I don't pry. It's not, I don't, I don't particularly have a dog in the fight. Um, if they want them on the streaming services or want to repress, you know, press them onto vinyl or something, it would be very easy. I'm sure that there would be multiple people that would, that would be interested. You never know what could happen. Obviously things can evolve and change as, as time goes on. Uh, you mentioned ashtray monument mm-hmm. and in the early periods, let's talk about that label. Cause they had uh, put out a lot of the records, a lot of the music that you've been a part of over the last, yeah. uh, last few years and what have you. So uh, talk about your relationship with them and some of the bands that you've been a part of that are on that label. Yeah. So I, I feel that, um, my musical life was like renewed when I started working with Ashtray Monument. Um, before that, I'd like never really worked with a label before. You know, I'd been on in bands that toured and put our own records out and, and we did the DIY thing. Um, Ashtray Monument is still very DIY. It's literally like three guys. But uh, as soon as I as soon as drew expressed interest in working at the time, the first thing was the um, was curious markings, a band that lasted for about a year. It was so awesome to have a, uh, a person drew drew particularly, he's the, our contact with the label, um, but have someone who was completely capable and on it help out with, what labels do, you know, like, um, I'd never had that before, never had like a, a, a partner like that, um, in making, in being in bands and making music. And, uh, so yeah, uh, Drew 
fucking rules. And I don't think that um, I'd be in a place right now where I'm, I play in multiple bands really comfortably. Like I don't, everything would be different if, if I didn't meet up with those guys. So I'm eternally grateful, but yeah, they put out the start with the party EP for curious markings. It was a 10 inch. And uh, yeah, then he's put out um, the minimum rage discography LP and actually, and then done a bunch of, um digital releases a bunch of a bunch of streaming for for other bands right Um, older like older bands in my in my catalog that uh that you know weren't on the streaming services which is really awesome that's i I was impressed when they started the label and they were just like yeah we want to get those old like 90s and early 2000s florida bands that have great records have have material but aren't part of the spotify you know, Apple music world, we want to get, get them there. And I, I thought that was, that was awesome. I, you know, like no one's going to make any money off of the streaming services, but it is really, really convenient and awesome to have access to records that you would have to dust off a seven inch, put on the turntable, you know, do the, do the whole thing, which, you know, is, is an art itself. And it is something very enjoyable. I still do that, but like, for the for the for for most people to have access to that kind of stuff just yeah it gives it it, it gives it some portability to take it along with you yeah. you know if you want to jam some of those songs when you're at the gym or something like that you know you can't take the seven inch with you obviously so uh sure. it's nice to be able to to do that and uh and you know i want to go back to curious markings for a minute because that was also one of the bands that you did a lot of the artwork for right the album art yeah um at the at that time, the, at the time that that band existed, um, I was just, I was a, a, a painter for a living, or I was attempting to make art for a living. Um, I was basically doing an, a painting exercise, um, uh, basically aping Pusshead, um, but painting my friends, at, you know, with, with skull faces and really fucked up teeth. Um, and, I just ended up, I painted my son. I painted my mom. Uh, I painted my buddy, Jason from dredger. Um, another band I play in. Um, and I ended up painting all and myself. I painted myself. I painted and the other people in the band. And when it came time for artwork, we were, we were like, well, why don't we just use, why don't we just use this? And actually yeah. that might've been, that might've been a, a, a Drew suggestion. Drew from Astray might've suggested that. And yeah, we used the painting of Jacob, um, with the fiery orange mullet um, as the cover, and then all the other pictures, all the other uh, paintings are real small in the in the uh, on the insert. But yeah, that, that was that's awesome. I, I've always wanted to do that that sort of thing. But but uh, yeah, so yeah, that was that was very cool. Um, I I enjoy that cover very much. Also, I think more more so than the the painting, um, I designed the logo for that band which I thought was really hilarious because it kind of just looks like, like a death metal logo. It um, does. It's like super spiky in his yeah. it's like it, It's, it's legible. It's, it's, it's definitely not as illegible as like it's supposed to be, but you know, we were like, we were a, like a pop punk band, you know? Sure. Um, but so I like I just, it. I like the, I like the play on the, I thought it was fun. Yeah. I thought it was fun. We had a good time. That was a great, that was, a, that was a really fun band. Um, Jacob, Hamilton played guitar and sang. Um, 
Teresa Rhodes, my partner, played bass and sang. Wesley Durden played drums. It was a good time, for sure. Is there a certain flyer in your catalog of bands you've been in that is one of your all-time favorites? Um, well, luck, I'm, I'm lucky to be in a band right now with Mike Taylor, who, make, who, does, who makes incredible art. Um, and for our band, Terror Management Band, he screen prints like these fucking beautiful pieces for every show. Um, so I would say, yeah, any of the, any of the, the last like year and a half's worth of shows, um, including the sing, we did a sing out loud, uh, set not last weekend, the weekend before. And he made a, a, just a bonkers flyer or not a flyer. It's a, it's a full poster. Yeah. Any, anything that he's done, I would say, um, the asshole parade 20th anniversary weekend, which was a good 10 years. Is ago. that the one that minimum rage played on? No, Dredger played that one. Oh, Dredger played that one. Yeah. Uh, and that's a really cool one. And it's nice to see like our name up on the, on the list of bands with like, you know, Shitstorm and asshole parade mouser and all those bands. Um, yeah. Mike Taylor. Thanks buddy. I was going to ask too, isn't, isn't there a connection with the, with the, with asshole parade? Yeah. Um, so uh, I played drums in a band called Dredger. Uh, Dredger's been around for uh, 10 years now. Um, and uh, we've had, I think, five guitar players. Uh, and our newest guitar player, uh, who's not even new anymore, he's been in the band for over a year, uh, is Travis Johnson, who played bass in Asshole Parade for a very long time. So yeah, Travis plays guitar for us now. Um, we went to high school together, middle school and high school together. We've known each other for years. Great dude. Great guitar player. Um, stoked to have him. Yeah. I've, I've always, I've always been a fan of that band asshole parade. They're a good band. And, yeah. um, Travis, Travis, both Travis's Johnson and Ginn in that, uh, from that band were really instrumental in my, uh, in my, my punk rock, you know, early days. Um, Ginn was a couple of years older still is a couple years older than me and you know he was he had like pus head drawings on his backpack and his like his like rad skate skater kid he had like tony hawk haircut probably doesn't want anybody to know that um we were the same bus he hip, he hooked me up with like a couple of mixtapes um one with like anthrax on one side and mdc on the other um but yeah very instrumental in like i think he maybe gave me a couple issues of thrasher at one point that was sort of like I was just like blonde haired surfer boy and he kind of hit like, you know, those things, you know, like he hit, he, he pushed me in the right direction. Um, and then our bands played together quite a bit over the years. Um, he, he was in fried Christ when I was in I'm. And then shortly after asshole parade happened. One of my personal favorite mixtapes, really a compilation CD that had a lot of those bands on it that really, introduced me to a lot of music that was going on in the in in the in the 403 was 403 chaos oh yeah that's a good one yeah so shout out there... to hank shout out to hank shaw that the the probably the 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 like sore thumb on that on that record but like hank shaw is one of my top 10 bands of all time and i i, I was like i heard them and not knowing that they were part of that scene that they came out of like the 403 chaos thing. I knew what that was. I knew all, all those other bands. When I heard them play, I was just like, this is brilliant. And then 
at, afterwards learning that they did like, you know, some of those guys played in scrotum grinder. Like I, I it was, I, I, it made me love them even more for, yeah. for, for, for making that kind of music in that, in that, like, you know, at that time, at that place, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, Brian Roberts. He was uh he was he was on the podcast, I think in the first year oh, nice. of the of the podcast. And that was important for me too, because you know, you mentioned that Hankshaw was kind of like the sore thumb. Like I I love I mean, they were one of my favorite bands of that period, but they stood out, of course, because they were not they didn't sound yeah. any they sounded nothing like any of the other bands on that yeah. compilation, but there was something about them that that uh was different and i thought for good oh reasons um, yeah harold harold's voice is awesome um yeah those guys are just amazing um i want them to reunite really badly i know we talked about it on the episode <laughs> and uh did you ever get a chance to see them live back yeah, in the day I, I saw them multiple times i think all three times in gainesville like with them and like get up kids once and then them and hot water and culture um another time yeah and then there's a third show i'm i'm blanking on but yeah i saw them i never i never like i never i never saw them in tampa or anything it was always it was always in gainesville and because you were around you know in in the early years getting a chance to you know see a band like hot water music evolve to become you know one of the most well-known bands out of out of florida i would say in 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 the mid 90s late 90s early 2000s and what have you so uh what are your memories of of hot water music and getting a chance to see them back in the early years i'm almost positive that the four of those guys and myself we all moved to gainesville the same time frame summer of 94 um yeah i don't i i think i saw one of their early i saw, I saw one of their earlier shows probably not the first but I bought the demo tape from them at the hardback. Um, I don't have it anymore, um, but I have a lot of the vinyl from from that from those days. Um, yeah, I, I thought they were really great and and like chaotic energy, right? Like exhausting watching them. They were like exploding in real time, like right in front of you, um, and all great players. Uh, you know, a very busy rhythm section, but a fucking powerhouse of one. Another band that also quite big from the Gainesville, it still is to this day, is Less Than Jake. So, did you ever get a chance to uh, see them back in the early time, or any chance yeah. to play any share any any shows with them? Um, I saw them a lot because they were really happening when I first moved to town. They were super fun. Um, I'm played with Less Than Jake in Jacksonville at the Milk Bar on one of these like sort of all day festival sort of things you know show starts at noon until there's like 12 bands or whatever um so we didn't technically play a show with them we played a show that they were also on um yeah that was at the milk bar in jacksonville called punk foo and there was like a it was like a series um but then yeah saw them a bunch they, they were they just played so much they were it was obvious they really really wanted it I think I thought it was awesome. Like um, I did see them not recently, but maybe I'm going to say seven or eight years ago, they were on tour with pepper and they came through the St. Augustine amphitheater. Um, I would happen to be working there at the time. And I was, the, I was the merchandise coordinator there and I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen Jake in a really long time. And then I thought like, 
I wonder how this is going to go. They're playing on this like massive stage. It's like a 4,400 seat outside amphitheater. They killed it. Like their energy like translates whether they're playing a small club or like a massive arena. They just bring it. Like it was, I, it was ultra fun. Like the crowd ate it up with a fucking spoon. Like it was great. I was really, I mean, obviously like they've had success for decades now, but it was really nice to see a band that I only knew as like a, like a, you know, small punk club band play in front of like 4,000 people and like not miss a step. Also they're like, they do a show, right? There's like toilet paper cannons and confetti and like, you know, like it's not just like a ska punk band. What was it like playing up in Jacksonville and playing some of those shows at the milk bar? Oh, it was great. It was, uh, I was a child. I was like, I started playing at the milk bar when I was like 17 years old. Um, and having never had like basically like lying to my parents, telling them I was at somebody else's house sleeping over so I could go play the show in Jacksonville because I straight up was not allowed to leave St. Augustine at that time. Um, but like, yeah, we fell in, developed a relationship with, um, with a promoter, uh, that booked at the milk bar and I think like the moto lounge down the street maybe one other place uh, his name is Jason Lewis um we're still uh friendly I talked to him online occasionally great dude took a chance on us when we were like honestly horrible um but he started booking us on shows and I think I would imagine the fact that we showed up on time ready to play always pretty thankful for having, you know, the opportunity that he kept having us back. But um, yeah, he put us on some cool shows. Like we, we opened for uh, that band wax um, that had like the um, video of the guy running down the street on fire on fire. Right? It, was, yeah. it was a spike Jones video. So like when they, when that record came out and they were touring for that, we opened, we, we got to open for them at the milk bar, like on the, on the big stage. Yeah. When you're 17, that's, it was radical, like, cause it was like a legit club, you know, like the, there were bouncers and door guys who were kind of scary. That was exciting. You know, promoter brings you into like a weird back office to, you know, throw you like, you know, three $10 bills at the end of the night. <laughs> but like, yeah, it was, it was cool. I, that, that place was pretty legendary. I saw um, many, many shows in the lag wagon strung out, no effects, vein there but i saw you know i saw fugazi there butthole surfers there um all kind all kinds of shows yeah it was it was a great it was a great spot it was downtown and jacksonville downtown basically at that at that point and maybe it still does just like with a ghost town it just shut down there weren't restaurants open or anything else there was like the greyhound station that was like super sketchy like a half a block away and then the right um so it was, but also that's, you know, when you're 17 and like running around the, you know, downtown Jacksonville with your friends at like two o'clock in the morning, skateboarding and like, you know, freaking out because you just played a show in front of like 25 people. It was really cool. And you mentioned, you know, your parents didn't know you were telling them you were sleeping at a friend's house. So yeah. at what point did your parents catch on to what you were doing and did they, did they support the fact that you were really involved in a lot of the music that you were doing? Uh, to a point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my whole music, my, my love of music comes from, comes from my parents. My parents were voracious music, like people 
they went to concerts constantly. Um, they bought a lot of records. Um, they supported their friends who were local musicians. Like they were at, they, yeah, they just, they, they were supporters, but they were also very, very like hyper-focused, like, um, helicopter parents <laughs> to a, to a degree where there was, there was like, you know, nope, you don't, that is a line you don't cross. Right. Um, you're not going to Jacksonville. You're, you know, so I basically just, I, I knew my relationship with them and I was like, okay, well that's just a no. So I'm going to work my way around it. I don't think I ever got busted for those lies. Uh, I, definitely others. Um, but then, <laughs> but, but like they were so supportive in Gainesville that, I mean, like my parents came to the hardback, like the like the dingiest hole in the wall in Gainesville to see my band play and like sat there and loved it you know like which band was this that they saw uh that would have been I'm they would, I'm. They would yeah they, they would that would probably would have not but and it was like um yeah it was probably a bill with like you know fried christ which i'm sure my mom like absolutely loved right uh but yeah, yeah, they were at that point, they were very supportive at that point, you know, I was out of the house and like, you know, was living, living my life, but they were still supportive. It was great. They still come to my shows to this day. What do you remember the first concert your parents took you to? Oh, I have no memory of the first one because we were at them all the time. Um, the first concert that my brother and I wanted to go see that was like, that we could talk my, my dad into taking us was Tesla. This would have been like 90, 90 or 91, early, early high school. And uh, yeah, he took us to like the better, the, the, the arena in, in Jacksonville. He took us also see like around that time, we'd like, we went with him to see like, we saw the Black Crows, we saw Lenny Kravitz. Um, yeah, I've always, I, I, I love like punk music. I love, I love hardcore. Um, I love DIY, anything. Um, but I also grew up watching MTV and listening to the radio. And so yeah. like, I have no, there's no, there, there isn't a, there isn't a, um, there isn't a line. There's not like a, a punk line. And if there is, I'm not afraid to cross it. I don't, I don't, if it's a good song, it's a good song. I just, I straight up don't, I don't care. And I think most people, I think most people are like that now, Sure. but we grew up when we were kids. It was just like, well, you know, hear the word sell out a lot. And you know, like there were certain bands you didn't listen to but yeah now it's, now it's all it's all there everything is like yeah. just yeah i think those lines are so so have been completely erased i feel like to some degree so yeah. uh uh one of the other bands you were in which kind of you mentioned about you know that period like mtv and stuff and like i was thinking about like the 90s and another band you were in that you're i think you are still currently in called harsh bangs right is that's a current band of yours mm-hmm. when i think of the harsh bangs music it's kind of like you stumbled upon this 90s alternative album that you never heard of before yeah and you're like well this sounds like it came out at that time at least through my ears it does and uh it is different than a lot of the other music that you've played on in all your different bands you've been with so talk about harsh bangs and that part of what you're into as well cool yeah harsh bangs is myself and cole hellman um cole is the guitar player in minimum rage um and uh at the time of the recording of the first ep he was also my roommate um 
we recorded that first EP um, the first week of the pandemic shutdown. So March of 2020. Um, the reason we did was Cole had had a was already was packed to move out and move to Colorado, but then the pandemic hit and he put the brakes on. And was like, I'm gonna stick around for a little bit until this kind of calms down. Well, all of his music music gear was in the living room, um, and so he's like, well, we're stuck here. Like my son was in quarantine because he was in his mom he and his mom were in spain during during the initial quarantine so like he was basically quarantined at his mom's house for like a month and it was just cole and i so we set up a studio and he's like let's demo a song so set the drums up in the in the bedroom you know just did the thing i just picked a song that i had and it turned out really good and we're like yeah he's like this sounds like you know like a, a good like 90s power pop song and i'm like well let's just do another 90s song and so we did that we literally picked a band and said okay we're gonna do a posies song okay we did the posies song let's do a heat miser song okay cool well let's do a nirvana song and then we had four songs and we're like okay showed them to drew at ashtray monument and he was like yep let's do it so we did a i'm like well it's not it's not a band we can't be a band even if we wanted to right now because of the pandemic He's like, yeah, we'll just put it up and do a pre-order and we'll lathe cut that many records. Okay, cool. So we did it. I think, think there's maybe 50 of them, um, which is great. It's all, all of our buddies. You know, we have very, we have a very supportive group of friends. Um, and uh, yeah, so then Cole moved to Colorado and a couple of years later, we ended up doing another one. Um, he flew into town for the second one and uh, we went over to Gainesville to Rob McGregor's Golden Tone Studios. Uh, we booked two days. We tracked, I tracked all the drums, all the bass, all the rhythm guitars, and I tracked all the vocals. And then Cole took all of those, all of the files home to his studio in Colorado, did all his guitar work, sang his song, mixed it and mastered it. And the second one is supposed to be out October 5th. So we'll see. We actually pressed this one a small pressing but um we should have some copies relatively soon nice yeah so that all that 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 project is just cole and i um we share the writing and the um and all the playing we are playing our first show as a band at manifest manifest three this year in newport ritchie and uh joe gardella from home is where is going to be playing drums with us or is playing drums with us. And Teresa Rose from Curious Markings is playing bass. And so the three of us have been practicing for the last couple months, getting a group of songs together. And with a thing like Harsh Bangs, where like I write a good majority of the songs and I play all of the instruments other than the lead guitar stuff. I can play drums pretty well. I can play bass, I can play guitar. Um, and I could like, and it's easy for me to to think on those three levels when I'm writing or recording. So most of the time, uh, the drum part, I just have to play it. I don't have to write it or think about it. I just have to Are you all self-taught? Is that how you learn how to play all these instruments? Or did you learn from someone? Did you ever go and take any classes or get any, any, yeah. any teach you? I started, uh, I started playing guitar um, in middle school 
and I started, I took, uh, two years of guitar lessons with, um, Florida folk legend, Bob Patterson. Uh, he was one of my dad's good friends. Um, he lined up lessons with, uh, for me with Bob, Bob taught me all the basics and, um, did a phenomenal job. Like, uh, his lessons still stick with me. I still think about the things that he taught me almost every time I pick up a guitar. Um, but that was like super basic. Um, and then I took classical guitar in high school. I played in an ensemble and in a quartet. I did that for three years. Um, but that was even farther away from rock and roll. Like I started in like with, uh, with this, uh, this folk dude um, who is a, he finger picks a 12 string guitar. That's who taught me how to play guitar. And then I went to classical guitar where I was playing a, like, a, you know, like a, a, a nylon string guitar, even farther away from rock and roll. And then, yeah, after that, then it was nothing but power chords and, you know, turning the amp up as loud as it could go. But bass and uh, guitar, I, I just figured out myself. Even when we were like kids, anytime Tony Lippy of like I'm in boredom, um, we, we, we had a practice space in his parents' sunroom, which we called the Florida room, or they called it the Florida room, and we just continued to call it the Florida room. Um, I would get behind the drum kit as much as possible because it fascinated me. You mentioned Bob Patterson a little a little bit ago. There's also a festival that goes on up in the San Augustine area called the Gamble Rogers Festival. Did you ever get a chance yeah. to go to that before? Yeah, um, I've I've been going. So Gamble was one of Bob's best friends, um, and I was lucky enough to to know him and play music with him and um, be around him a lot when I was a, a kid, um, and so. Before it was the Gamble Rogers Folk Festival, it was called the San Augustine Folk Festival. Um, and I used to go when I was a kid um, and uh, Bob would take me and, uh, you know, I'd sit around and play some 12 bar blues or whatever it was he was teaching me at the time with, you know, like some of it was like, you know, like a kid's workshop sort of thing. And but then once uh, Gamble passed away and they, you know, they run the, the Folk Festival in tribute to him changed the name um at the time i was playing in like folk style bands um and i got to play it i got to play uh, uh quite a few years of it I, and i was also the stage manager for the the main stage one year then uh, for there was a good good amount of years that i was a, a pretty big part of that not huge in any sort of way um but it was nice to be around it for sure yeah, there was a, a band of yours you were in, which kind of had a more folk sound to it. The Wobbly Toms. Yeah, yeah. The Toms um, were another one of those uh, unexpected like door openings for me into into another realm of music making that I wasn't looking for. It just kind of happened. Um, they were a the strangest, the strangest fucking band I've ever seen. There were like nine to 11 people up on stage when this is when I first saw them. And there was like, there was a dude who played pots and pans. There was a dude with a tin whistle, you know, there's a guy with bagpipes, but the core group of the, of the band was a really solid bluegrass band, right? Banjo, acoustic guitar, mandolin, bass. And I got asked to fill in on drums for them at 
at one point. I played with them for like six months and it was just wild, super fun. They, they, they were like, they were all absolute madmen and had a blast. It wasn't really about the, about musicianship. It was just kind of being crazy, but every once in a while, there are these really brilliant musical moments. And I, and like me, the over the, the musical overthinker was like, if I could just calm these motherfuckers down, this could be a, uh, there's something here. So anyway, I, so when their drummer came back, they were like, Hey, we really like playing with you. You should stick around in the band. But literally there's nine people in the band. And I'm like, you got all the bases covered. I don't have another instrument to play. I don't, I don't have it. And they're like, yeah, but we, we have this accordion. They held up this like shitty student accordion. It was like hanging by a thread, straps broken. And I was like, oh, okay. So I took it home. I learned how the accordion worked. I figured I could completely ignore the button chord part and just play melodies on the keyboard. And I played accordion in a fucking band for two years. And it was super fun. And at that point, the membership started changing. We started making it more. There, there was like a, we we're playing like, like pub rock. Like, so we'd play some bluegrass, we'd play some like traditional Irish things, but then we'd play like Bauhaus and the Pixies and um, a very weird band, like a very, very weird mix of music, but they were playing three, they were playing three hour long sets a night. because so they weren't like a band you'd go see. They were just the band playing at the bar that night and um, getting to play with them and play that much music was totally brand new to me. I was used to 20 minute sets. I was playing, you know, like my world, that's, that was, that was eight songs and you're done. This is like, we're playing like three sets of 12 songs. And it was the first band that I ever played a, a note of music inebriated. Before that, I was completely sober, especially for every performance I'd ever done. This was, it was like, I had to learn how to play completely wasted, but it fit the the whole vibe of the thing um but anyways i ended up moving on into guitar and at that time there were three lead singers they kind of welcomed me as a fourth and so i started introducing some songs and then it sort of morphed into this like pretty straight bluegrass band like a bluegrass band with a drummer um it was it was just an absolute blast of a time just took something completely different, you know. Right. Like I, I had to, I had to learn how to, I had to figure out what bluegrass was because I didn't, I didn't know the difference between it and country music. Bluegrass has actually been a big part of the DNA of Florida music for for a long time, uh, especially the more north you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been, a, there's actually a lot of compilations you can dig up of Florida musicians and playing bluegrass style music. So. Yeah. Same thing with folk too. Uh, there's a lot out there as well, so it's pretty interesting. You mentioned with the Wobbly Toms, you you know getting involved in vocals. Mm-hmm. Was that the first time that you really got more involved on the vocal side, or were you already kind of in the mix of adding your own vocals to some of the bands you were with before that? I mean, I did the the pretty standard, uh, you know, oohs and ahs in I'm and and boredom, oohs and ahs. You're just like ripping, you know, basically like, oh, Bad Religion did that, like, ooh, ah, you know, like thing trying to do that. 
Then I played in a in a band in Gainesville. The band that it really didn't work was was uh, called Mike's Brothers Band, and uh, I sang in that band, and um, that was the first time. Um, but it wasn't. I wasn't comfortable. I didn't enjoy it, um, and it didn't really go over well at all. Um, with the Toms, you know, I found that writing in and for like a folky sort of um, song structure or like a bluegrass song structure, which is like bluegrass is completely rigid, right? They're just, they're just parts. Um, and I mean, it doesn't have to be, but like the bluegrass that we were playing was really, was really rigid in its, in its form. I found it a whole lot easier to write for those sorts of, those sorts of songs. And then I found that, I have a little bit of like a Southern accent in me somewhere. And if I use it on those types of songs, in my opinion, it's when it's the way my voice sounds the best. Like I don't have a cool, like punk rock voice. I don't have a great singing voice at all, but like if there's like a bunch of strings happening and like, I do like a little twang thing with my voice that it's not natural. I'm from fucking Pennsylvania. But like it's in there somewhere. And when I hear it, that's the only way I like to hear my voice like recorded or like, like what, see, seeing me play live is if there's and that. And that came from that band that came from from that era of like and I don't because I, I wouldn't have done that in a in like a rock band. I wouldn't have like thought to make my voice sound like that unless I was playing these like, you know, playing pig in a pen or some other like you know, bluegrass traditional thing. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm super thankful that they came out like that because um, I do now know where my voice sits. It's usually has nothing to do with like rock and roll or punk rock or anything, but you can't, you can't win them all. Right. Them all. But, you know, I was interested to know more about that because it had to have really, that had to have come from somewhere. And the fact that that's uh, kind of where it, you kind of were able to start finding your voice and kind of where where that kind of lied uh, with the wobbly toms. And then what was the first other band after that where you were contributing more of your vocals to? I guess it would have been Curious Markings. That okay. yeah. So that started with Jacob and I, Jacob Hamilton, finding ourselves both playing bass in in a band and both playing and and also playing drums in a band, but being guitar players and singers like being people who like sit down almost daily with their acoustic guitar at home and like write and play and sing. But we were rhythm section people. And like, it had been years since either of us had been like front people or like been the people who brought, who were like, like writing and like presenting songs to bands. So he had a four, uh, an eight track in his shed, the shred shed out on his property out on two Oh six. And he was like, let's just, let's record some songs. Like, so we did. And I recorded like four or five songs. He did the same. We both played all the instruments, but we both played, they were songs that we wrote on guitar and we both sang our own songs. And then um, full collector nerd stat here. There are 10 copies of that seat of that record on CDR with like handmade covers somewhere. It's not worth anything. People don't even look for it, but like, it does exist somewhere, but those were the song. That was the initial impetus of us going like, yeah, that was fun. Let's do a band. 
And so that was, that became Curious Markings. I was still finding my way in that band on how, how to sing. Like, and I'm still, I still am. It's still a, a, a challenge. It's not natural for me, but I'm still, I, but so I'm still, I'm still learning for sure. Like literally I demoed a track yesterday um, and I tried a new vocal approach and I think it worked. I haven't heard back from anybody in the band yet. <laughs> so, so uh, unsure if they think it worked, but uh, you just have to try stuff. If you don't what band is this? Terror so Management? It's a Terror Management band. Yeah. So so that, you know, our record just came out, but we recorded it two and a half years ago. We already have like the second record and part of the third record already written. So we've been arranging and talking about the recording process for the second one. And Mike is the singer in that band, but like Kevin sang a song on the last record. I sang two songs on the last record. This one, we're going to do the same thing. Kevin's going to sing a song. I'm going to sing a song. Alan is going to sing a song. And then Mike will sing the rest. Um, and I got hand, basically handed this song that had just been an instrumental. And uh, yeah, just put it in the computer, kind of wrote down some stuff and went for it. And I, you know, just, I'm not going to say who I aped, but I just fucking ripped off another vocalist and their whole style. Uh, but the band's, has, the band's not active. They haven't been for over 10 years. Um, and I don't think anybody cares, but I think it worked, but it wasn't something I'd ever done with my voice before. Yeah. You know, who were, you gotta, you gotta try. who were some of the influences of terror management band when you were guys were kind of putting that band together? That, well, that band started with Mike and Kevin, uh, Mike Taylor, who is in flaws and halo perfecto and Palaka, uh, Kevin Kelly, who was in Liquid Limbs, um, the mighty Liquid Limbs, uh, and uh, the, the Eastern Wave with me. Um, they started, I, and I think they were playing together for a couple of years, just getting together once a week, sometimes playing guitar, sometimes you know switching off instruments or whatever. And then I don't remember how who reached out, uh, but one of them asked if I would like come over and, and, and jam. I did, and basically Mike was like, I'm gonna play guitar, so you and Kevin figure out who's going to play the other thing. And Kevin had just bought this massive John Bonham Ludwig uh, drum kit. And his reach is a good, like two foot longer than mine. And so it was, it's just massive. It's just like the symbols are huge and they're really far apart. And I sat behind the drums and I was like, I'm playing bass. <laughs> so they were, it was very, very noisy. It was very like AMREP late 80s Chicago stuff. Like it was very dirty. Some Melvins in there, some Jesus lizard, like just really, yes. like really angry, angular shit. And it was awesome. Um, and so, yeah, we played for a little while um, as a three piece, recorded the record as a three piece. Then the pandemic hit and we shut everything down. And as soon as we got back to the practice space, we realized that, uh, we could use another, another thing, another instrument. And, um, yeah, we called Alan, Alan, um, and I had a history of, of playing music to get music together. And he was also playing in a band, uh, called Burl from St. Augustine, which was just a really great, like post hardcore band. Um, Dave Lowther played drums, 
just a fucking monster. Great band. Anyways, Alan joined um, and added something really special. And so we were like, well, let's go back and put Alan on the record. So Alan, we went back, went back to Black Bear, the studio we recorded at. Alan played on top of everything else. And it's seamless. You'd never know that like his parts are recorded like a year after ours. Uh, with you having played a lot of shows with all different bands all over Florida, besides North Florida, what's been one of your favorite other cities to play in Florida and why? Why why that city? I've had really fun shows in Tampa. Um, Tampa's always been, uh, I've always had friends that are, are actively playing music there. Um, so that's always been fun. Um, I feel really, really lucky over the, like the last decade with the bands that I've, that have been, been active that we've, that Gainesville, you know, maybe part of North Florida is for like central Florida in my mind for some reason. Um, but anyways, uh, like Gainesville has been very like welcoming to my projects and, you know, really over the last 10 years, I ha- there's been some tours. I-, I played a little bit of everywhere, but like most of the time, if we get over to Gainesville for a weekend, like success, you know, like play the backyard, see some buddies, you know, hit the record store. That's, that's all I'm looking for. But yeah, I mean, even, I guess, I guess probably starting with like, uh, with dead airs and everything beyond, beyond that, like Gainesville is just like, they've, they've shown up. They've, they have cared enough to, to come out and, and see what uh, me and the rest of these St. Augustine weirdos are up to. <laughs> it's a nice relationship for sure. And we try to, we try to obviously like reciprocate. So when they come to town, we're, we're there. I think you had told me before we did the interview that you had played, there was one tour where you pretty much just focused on Florida. You played every city you possibly could with the exception of maybe Key West. You played pretty much yeah. everywhere. So what band was that with? And uh, any real memorable moments from, from some other locations that you haven't mentioned from in Florida? Uh, let's see. So that was Curious Markings. That was... That was the start with the party tour. It was uh, 10 or 11 shows all in Florida, like in 10 or 11 days. So yeah, we mean, we played a really fun show in, um, I think it was Fort Lauderdale. I could be wrong at Banana Records. Are you familiar? No, Banana. I thought Banana Records was in Clearwater. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly where it was. But we played there with a, a band called Rudderkin from the Tampa area. A- area. Um, that was when we first met those guys and um, Dave. Uh, and those boys have become really pretty pretty good buds since then. Uh, so that was a really fun show. That's a great record store as well. Um, yeah, I think Broken Things played that show as well. That was fun. Uh, we played at um, we played in Miami on Super Bowl weekend when the Super Bowl was in Miami and we didn't know it. We were like, man, Miami's fucking packed. This place is just like insanely packed. And then we realized hours later, why is there, why are, so everybody just wears sports jerseys down here? (laughs) And then somebody like just looked at their phone and was like, oh yeah, the Super Bowl's tomorrow, like right over there. What venue was that at? Do you remember where that was? um, That was, that's uh, shit. The legendary Miami venue called 
Churchill's. Churchill's, yes. Um, that sounds right. I'm Churchill's, sure. yes. Yeah, yeah Churchill's, yeah. sure. Um, yeah, that was, it, w- it wasn't the most awesome show, but it was like, it was great. It was great to play there. Um, Is that the first time you played Churchill's? For me, yes. Okay. Yes, that was my first time there. Um, and then, yeah, on that show, oh, we played a really fun show in Daytona Beach called, at a little, like, little, like, hole-in-the-wall pub called Tiernanog. That was cool. Um, yeah, where else did we play? We played in Gainesville at the Backyard. Played in Jacksonville at the Winterland Festival. Uh, did you get up to the Panhandle, to like Pensacola, Panama not City? On, not on that tour, no. Um, I think Jacksonville was the farthest north we got, and we didn't go up. To, yeah, we didn't do Tallahassee on that tour. Okay, Tallahassee um, too, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, fun shows. Um, the Winterland Festival was 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 fun. Uh, and yeah, and then I think we did. I think we played. Oh, when we came back, like the last show of that tour was at Sarbez. Which is our was was is now not booking music booking live music, but at that point was here in San Augustine, um, and we played with Zeta, who is who are now just kind of like blown up, and to see them like rise like over the last couple of years to where they are now, the shows that they're playing and stuff. Also, they're one of the more incredible live acts I think that's doing it right now. Um, but yeah blown away by them on our tiny little like you know grilled cheese restaurant stage um that was like that was the end of the tour end of tour so that yeah was, that was really fun with the dead airs where'd you go where'd you travel to um we did um well, let's see what did we, what did we do so we did the midwest which was the first time i ever flew flew out uh somewhere to tour um we did the midwest with um, off with their heads, uh, and then we did the east, the upper east coast, like Richmond, Philly, Brooklyn, Boston, and then at one point we did like a southeast thing, like some Florida shows in Charleston. It was only three times we went out. I think um, was that the yeah. most you've gone out with a band and played that many dates with outside of Florida. No, um, boredom went out and did quite a bit more than that back in okay. the day. And so did the band, my captain that was directly after boredom. We toured a lot, but they, that was in the, that was like in 2002, 2003. That was the most I ever toured. On all those dates you played with the dead airs. And this is like, almost like the second part of your life, right? I mean, you were a lot younger back then when you were doing touring and now you're older, right? And you're yeah. touring all these places. Yeah. Like was there early forties? Yeah. So was there some location you were just really glad you finally had the chance to go to that you didn't ever get to go to when you were younger? Um, I think Chattanooga, when we played Chattanooga, which must've been on the same leg as like the Charleston shows. Um, I had never, um, I had played Sluggos in Pensacola back in the day. I had never played the Sluggos North in Chattanooga. That was the first time that I'd played there. So that was really great. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, the Chattanooga music scene and community. There's been a lot of like back and forth between them and St. Augustine. Like people move there from St. Augustine, people from there move move here. Um, But also that said, like hidden spots, future virgins, um, incredible bands from that from that area um and it was really fun to play um 
at their local spot, which also has killer food too. And that's important. It is. It's very important, especially when you're traveling. You know, you have to make time to get good food, especially local stuff, right? Not stay away from the chain restaurants. Yeah. Well, you know, there's no no shame if you if you're an Arby's fan. You know, get you know, do your thing. Horsey sauce. I'm I'm right there with you. (laughs) Spirit. I'm not going to be there with you in the actual restaurant. But no, on tour, you there is so much time. You have so much time. It's literally hurry up and wait sure and then you play music for 30 minutes and then you're just sweaty for the rest of the night that's it that's touring so like yeah man take you know if you're if you're a record collector then you go find the record shop if you are a foodie you figure out what restaurant's cool like you know there's plenty of stuff to do just don't skateboard or what you do right don't skateboard (laughs) or what you do is you go to the record shop and you ask the record shop clerk where the best food is to go eat and they will tell you they will record store workers are some of the best tour guides you'll ever find they know where everything is especially the best food i love a good record store clerk <laughs> the, the 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 more jaded the better yes you know? <laughs> and speaking of record stores uh you have a great shop where you are a, a tone vendor is in saint augustine tone and vendor, uh yes. and you had i'm sure you know growing up in that area and uh have experienced other shops along the way so talk about that for a moment you know what have been some of your favorite record shops and any in stores you've ever done playing in a record store before or a music store in general yeah. So yeah, we have, so Fuse Records was here in St. Augustine in the mid nineties, totally life-changing for a lot of us. Um, a lot of great shows um, like Palaka played there, Hope Springs Eternal, Moonraker, Asphalt Parade, like a lot of bands in that, in this, like the Florida scene, got some shows there. It was great. Uh, Boredom and I played there as well. Um, we're lucky to have Tone Vendor here in town. Uh, Dan Sostrom runs it. Um, he's a good buddy of mine. Um, and he runs a tight ship. It's a great shop. Um, in Jacksonville, there's Tiger Records uh, with a sister store in Gainesville called Sunshine. Both have in- an insane amount of good use stuff. Um, James and Daniel both are mega collectors where they buy, they're constantly buying collections. Um, and they're, they, j- they have the goods, man. They do. I spend way too much money at both of those shops. And I don't even live in either of those towns. Um, <laughs> but yes, they're great. Uh, ha- in stores, um, the the one that comes to mind is Dead Airs played uh, at Seasick Records in somewhere in Alabama. Did I say Birmingham? I'm going to say Birmingham, Alabama. It might I think, not be Birmingham. I, th- I think it might be. I heard of Seasick yeah. before. So uh, at that time... Um, uh, my bandmate Andrew, his brother worked there, or maybe was a part owner of it. That he was involved in some way. They had a stage. We played it. It was a really good time. We then went back to his place to stay the night, and I stayed down in his basement in front of his record collection, which was like one of the best record collections I'd ever seen. It was ridiculous. Not just the amount, but just like the he had the goods. Does it matter to you that the music that you make gets released in a physical format, considering that you're a fan of it as well? Yeah, I love it. I, I do. I love it. 
there's a part of me that just doesn't want to do it anymore because it's a hassle and it's really expensive and it takes forever. But um, I fucking love it. I love like I just like you know when the Terror Management Band record came out. Literally, I was at the merch table stuffing records into sleeves because everything was coming from different directions and ended up meeting at the show. I was, it was like the best day I'd had in weeks sitting in a dive bar, stuffing your own record into your own record sleeve, which is like beautiful. Cause they're like, it has one of Mike's paintings on the cover. Um, and on the back, like, it was just like, I was in heaven. Like that is nothing better, nothing better than stuffing your own record. But it took like what a year and a half to get that record pressed it's painful, it's yeah. a painful amount of time for someone who it like, and I, and we, as a band have like a lot of creative energy. We're always writing. And so like, I think we had half of a new record written before we even recorded the first one. And that was a year and a half ago. Like it's a, it's a lot. So, you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, we should just release it to Spotify and like be done with it. it exists. People could grab it, whatever. But like, there's something about a physical product. Now, nowadays, I, I personally think about them more as artifacts. Like if you have something that you're on your merch table and somebody comes over, regardless of whether they have a record player or a cassette player or something, if they want to support the band and they want to just throw you 20 bucks, then they get to pick something off the table. Like that's kind of how I think about it. Like, like here's this LP. I really hope it ends up on a turntable someday. Like if it doesn't, it'll collect us in on a bookshelf somewhere and then maybe somebody <laughs> somewhere down the line, somebody will listen to it, but it's, you know, if they're, if they're willing to support the band in the, in a, in a, in like a, at a show situation like that, I'm, I'm happy to make stuff. And it is nice when you get a chance to do though, get a physical copy of something, whether it be a tape or a, a, a vinyl record. And I was really glad when the discography came out for a minimum rage because yeah, that was exciting. Yeah. It had all the songs on it. And I think it's all the songs. Let's say anything else that's out there that wasn't included on it. But uh, There's, there, there are two songs that are lot. Li- there are two live songs, two live ones um, that are the only thing. Um, the only thing that we've released that wasn't, um, you know, like a, stu- like a studio recording. And yeah, so that's all of it. That's like three recording sessions like the full length and then two EPs. Um, yeah. Drew did a great job wrangling that together. Um, yeah. Happy to have happy to, have, cause we never released anything. Um, right. Never. It, it all, it just, it went like, you know, Bandcamp. I think like it ended up on, on like the streaming services at some point, but it was not, we were always just a little too scattered to like really make it happen. And then when it was suggested, maybe a discography, I was like, I don't know. Can we fit, can we fit that many songs on a, on an LP? And uh, Drew said, yes. And I was like, okay, go for it. Let's do it. What do you like about the live shows with minimum rage? Uh, what I like is I, I like John Blackford. Our singer um, is one of the like funniest, most insane people I, I've ever met. Smartest, kindest. Um, he was everybody in the band's teacher at one point he's the reason that jacob's into punk rock like hipped him to like i think a subhumans cassette when he was like jacob's like sitting in his class one day um he's unhinged he goes on the off on these like political rants in between songs and sometimes we're trying to reel him in you know like start the feedback up but no he just keeps going and like the more he get the i he starts on a spiel in between songs and the more at first I'm annoyed because I'm like, yeah, let's play another song. 
and then it keeps going it keeps going and like the more he goes that I, I just think it's hilarious it's so much it's so much fun most of the time he's preaching to the choir right like we're playing punk shows like punks are pretty are pretty on it about their their political views right but so he's just like he's on this fucking soapbox just doing his thing but he's he he like he believes it and he lives it and uh and he's off he's he's often shirtless and just like moshing by by himself it's great i i just like watching the band because i feel like almost like a like a bystander because <laughs> like jacob jacob's like you can't see his face it's just hair and then cole it's just hair and then john is moshing shirtless and i'm just like this is hilarious this is so awesome and i th- and i think the band kind of rules like cole writes really great songs for us um we all have been playing together for so long uh that it's, it's a joy to it's a joy to play um and uh yeah i can't wait to play We've got three shows coming up oh yeah i was gonna ask about what's coming up next for minimum rage and <laughs> what you got going on with that yeah we have um Let's see. We're playing Monifest. Uh, I guess that would be the third weekend in October. And then we're playing a pre-fest show in St. Augustine at Nobby's on the Wednesday before fest. And then we play fest 13, 23. I don't know what, whatever number it is that fest this year, 18. I don't, I have no, honestly no idea. Um, but thanks to Tony and that whole crew, they continue to, invite us back every year. Uh, so we're playing Sunday at fest at, uh, Vecino's, uh, which, uh, for the old heads, uh, dirty Nellies. Is that the only band you're playing with for fest? Correct. Yeah. Monty fest. You're playing with harsh bangs and minimum rage and minimum rage. Yep. Yep. So I got double duty that day. Um, but yeah, super fun. I, I, uh, fun, f- fun fact, minimum rage first show was fest seven years ago i was gonna say which one jeremy i can't i can't remember <laughs> but it was uh, so we uh jacob and john and i had a different band called brown palace and we were booked onto fest and that band broke up and then in in between you know like in between that band breaking up and fest we formed minimum rage um and so that we were like hey can we just can our new band play and they're like yeah sure that's how that is how like silver spoon punks we are like our first show was fest like that's how lucky we are super grateful for that kind of shit also gotta gotta give a shout out to rich diem um my bandmate in telepathic lines he came up with the term the band name minimum rage and was like gotta be a band called minimum rage and we were like okay let's do it you should be in it and he's like nah (laughs) but he named the band so yeah gotta gotta give him credit thank you rich there was a band from Florida called the minimum wage, I think. Probably. probably. Yeah. yeah probably. There definitely was a band. I think they put out like one seven inch. It's, it's a, it's a good punk rock band name. Yeah. It's not ultra. It's not ultra clever, you know, like we have no, like, you know, but it works. It's, yeah. it's a good one. Yeah, for sure. Out of all the bands you played with and all the different styles of music, if you had to pick one or two that you really can just sit down and just, you really just can listen to this. And it's something you're just, you're super proud that you made. Uh, is there one or two bands or specific albums or recordings that really stand out for you personally? Well, it's always the new stuff, right? Like uh, the terror management band um, record. Like I said, I've said multiple times, I guess. Sorry for sounding like a broken record. Uh, it just came out uh, LP on Belladonna records, cassette on bakery outlet, uh, 
streaming through Ashtray Monument, uh, but it's called Big Box Apocalypsis. And I think it's the most accomplished thing that I've done in a long time that I've, that I've been part of, a part of. Um, I am in constantly in awe of the things that like I get to make with those guys. Kevin, Alan, and Mike are just like like these genius dark wizards on their instruments. And I just get to just kind of float along with them and try to keep up. Um, so yeah, that, I think that record's great. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Uh, it bears mentioning that Alan mastered it and I think he did a, a beautiful job. So yeah, that one um, is great. And that's all on this. I think the streaming went live for that record on the 21st. So yeah, so it's available everywhere you want it to be. Um, other than that, I mean, the only thing that I, I uh, we haven't really touched on, but I'm pretty proud of is the Onslaught Dynamo record. Um, I'm glad you brought that one up because yeah. I, I I like that one a lot too. I like that. So that more, more than anything, I like the songs. Um, I really, Bo Dillard is a dear friend of mine and we have, um, we just have a very similar um, taste in music. And we just like that sort of Sam I Am jawbreaker mid-tempo punk rock thing. Um, I thought I love his voice. He likes my guitar playing and it just worked. But that record more than anything, uh, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I recorded that. I recorded that the whole thing in my garage. As we kind of round things out, a couple of quick last questions I have for you, Jeremy. Yeah, uh, having played all the shows that you've played over the years and obviously more to come, Based on the ones you've already played, what's been the worst pit you've seen? The worst pit? Probably any uh, show that I'm played in when I was in high school. And there was like a pit, but like, the, but we were all like children from the suburbs who didn't know what a pit was, you know? So it was just like that push mosh thing that you, that like, and I just never understood it. I was like, it always did. I, I did. I never wanted a pit because I really wanted people just to enjoy the music, right? Like I, I it's not my thing. Uh, so yeah, uh, all of the push mosh pits in 1993 at the uh, the Lions Club show that the skinhead stole the cash box. That is the worst pit. Those were the worst worst pits I've ever seen. And if there was one place one venue one club one hole in the wall wherever it was if there's one place that doesn't exist anymore that you would like to play one more show at or see one more show at in florida uh what place would that be well it'd be fuse records or the hardback um fuse records is that's just where it started for me uh the hardback just legendary um and also, uh, when Drew and Matt were running it, they were ultra kind to my shitty band. Um, and I would love to play that corner of the room again. It'd be fun. It's been great having you on. And thanks so much for all the time you've taken to tell your story and to share a lot of the experiences and the bands you've been in over the years. I know there's probably about another 50 we didn't get into, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> That's, we that's covered right. a lot of them. We did. Jeff, thank you for having me. It's been, it's an honor. Like, I don't understand um, how it's, I've played music for this long and it's even a little crazier that there are people who might want to hear me talk about it. So uh, thank you. Uh, and thanks to everybody out there. 
all the buds and all the new buds that uh, I haven't made yet. <laughs>